Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. To reach out and touch Him And say that we love Him Open our ears, Lord And help us to So when our kids were little, we were advised that we should have uh, uh, wills, uh, a, a, a family trust. And uh, because, you know, God forbid something should happen to us, you want to have some say in how your children are brought up and who's going to do that and what's going to happen with all your stuff. And, uh, you know... We heard that and thought, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's a, that, that's, a, that's a good idea. And we thought about it and we thought about it. It ended up taking us two years before we finally did anything about it. Uh, and, you know, there was a certain sense of peace, uh, but it was also a kind of a challenging, uh, uh, a challenging process because they're asking really awkward questions. Like, you know, what happens if you both go at once? It's like, you don't want to think about that kind of stuff. But it's good to do that and got that all settled. And we promptly forgot about it, put it away and didn't think anything more of it. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm looking at all the stuff that, uh, that, uh, that, you know, says what you need to do before you retire. And, and uh, one of the things that, uh, that I read is, is that, you know what, you need to, update your trust. Your kids are older, they're uh, on their own, and, and so, it's, and I, you know, read this a couple of years ago and said, yeah, you know, we really probably ought to do that. We ought to get around to doing that eventually, and it took us about two years, uh, and we finally did it, uh, and uh, got it all, got it all said and done, and uh, when, when it was all, when it was all finished and everything was updated, uh, uh, we had to, you know, go to the attorney's office and then you sign up, you sign a bunch of stuff that say, you know, that, yeah, this is what I, this is what I want. Uh, but the, the fascinating thing is that your signature on the document alone is not enough. Is because, you know, how do we know you're really you? Uh, and in, in uh, the legal system that is our day, uh, we, we've, we've, we've got to have verification that you are who you say you are. And so when we went in to sign these documents, they prayed these two people in that I've never seen before in my life. Uh, and they're going to be our witnesses. And so we pull out all of our identification and show them that uh, who we are and uh, uh, and I guess that's good enough for the state of California because they looked at it and said, okay. And, and then we were asked these questions. Are you who you say you are? Yep. And then they ask these witnesses, do you hear and do you confirm that they are who they say they are? Yep. 
and then we signed the pages, and then they signed the pages, and it was all said and done, and everybody lives happily ever after. So if you've never done that, you should do that, because it's going to take you, if you decide to do it today, it's going to take you two years before you actually do anything. Mm. But the whole idea of witnesses is important. And of course, if you've ever been, uh, you know, if you ever watch a courtroom drama or, you know, God forbid you've ever been in a courtroom drama, uh, everything can hang on the testimony of the witnesses. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. What this chapter is, is a courtroom drama. It is a courtroom scene. And... uh, It's pretty dense. Uh, As I said last week when we jumped into this, uh, we're jumping into the deep end of the pool here, folks. This is stuff that's going to tax us uh, to really understand what we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters. Uh, And as we looked last week, uh, the crime uh, that was committed uh, was committed by Jesus Uh, He had the audacity to heal someone on the Sabbath. And uh, and so uh, you'll remember that actually a couple of weeks ago, Jeremiah, Pastor Jeremiah, uh, talked about this. The guy's at the pool. He's been there for 38 years, invalid for 38 years. And uh, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, you know what? All these people here crowding around, I can't get into the waters. Jesus brings the water to him. Jesus brings the healing to him. Jesus says to him, pick up your mat and walk, and he does. Can you imagine being incapacitated for 38 years, and some guy says to you, pick up your mat and go home, and you find that you have the strength to actually do that? I mean, that would be a day of celebration, would it not? So he's carrying his mat. He's going, he's going home, happy as a clam with legs. And uh, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders of the day, they see him. And it's a Sabbath. And they say, hey, you can't do that. You can't be walking around with your mat. They had, they had looked at this commandment uh, uh, five ways to Saturday. And, uh, you know, the fourth commandment, you shall... Uh, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And, and of course, uh, being the true lawyers of the day, they broke that down. And what does it mean? What does it mean to uh, observe the Sabbath? And they'd, they'd come up with these 39 different statements of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And the, the very last one was don't be moving your personal property around on the Sabbath, Sabbath, which is what this guy had done. So they're telling him, hey, stop it. Stop it. And, uh, uh, and, 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 of course, because he's, he's doing it on the Sabbath. Well, who's, who, who, he says, the guy told me to do it. Who? I don't know. Later, he finds out it was Jesus. He goes and he tells them that it was, that it was Jesus uh, who had healed him on the Sabbath. And so they're coming at Jesus uh, for, for doing this on the, on the Sabbath. And, and this is my favorite part. As they're, as they're working out uh, their theology of what it means to observe the Sabbath, in their infinite wisdom, they decide to exempt God from the requirements of the fourth commandment. God, God doesn't have to 
observe the Sabbath, even though he rested uh, on the seventh day after six days of creation, because they observed around them that plants continued to grow, that babies were born, people died, people got sick, people got well. There was stuff going on on the Sabbath, and so they keenly intuited that God must still be at work even on the Sabbath, so he gets a pass. God gets a pass and, and can actually work on the Sabbath. So when they find out that Jesus is working on the Sabbath, they, they, they come to him and say, you, 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 you can't do this. And last week, we looked at Jesus uh, putting forth the first part of that argument, uh, of his argument, saying, look, uh, I, I am only doing what I see my father doing. He is at work unto this very day, and so I am at work too, doing the work that he has called me to do until it is finished. And so we read <clears throat> that, uh, where is it? Uh, oh, here it goes. Uh, we read that because Jesus was doing these things, this is in uh, 516, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, my father is at work uh, uh, to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So what I said last week, anybody that says Jesus never claims to be God has never read the gospel according to John. Jesus makes that claim. I and the Father are one. In the beginning uh, of John's gospel, John writes, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, Jesus later on will say to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus is making a very clear statement. He can work on the Sabbath because his Father works on the Sabbath and he is sent by the Father. So the, the religious leaders, they're all wrapped around the axle because Jesus, not only is he working on the Sabbath, but he's claiming to be God. And then Jesus offers up corroborating testimony with regard to his claims. And that's where we pick up the narrative in the rest of chapter 5 in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> we read this. If I testify, and this is Jesus speaking, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of, of John for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. 
You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know that you do. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in their own name, well, you will accept them. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you, your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This, this is a very deep and complex argument that Jesus is presenting, but he is using the, uh, the, the rabbinical understanding of the law in the day. You could not testify on, on behalf of yourself. Uh, and if you were being accused, there need to, to be uh, two or three witnesses. The witness of an individual was insufficient. So important was telling the truth and witnessing to the truth that it made the top ten. The ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Telling the truth was imperative. And so Jesus, he takes on the fourth commandment, their understanding of the fourth commandment. And you'll remember last week I suggested that it is never, uh, uh, it is never inappropriate, I don't care what day of the week it is, to do something good for someone else. And that's what Jesus did when he healed this person. If you want to violate the commandment, the fourth commandment, then do something that is self-serving. We, the commandments were given for us. The, the Sabbath was given for us that we would rest, that we would take that opportunity to relax. But even at that, if you see a need and you're in a position to meet that need, then do it. That's how people know that we are his disciples, by our love for one another. And to love is to will the good of another to serve and to sacrifice for others. That's what Jesus was doing. Is that a violation of the Sabbath? Of course not. It's never, an, it's never uh, there's never a time where we are not to do good to others if we have that opportunity. And equally important to that is to be people who tell the truth. But you can only tell the truth about yourself so much. Somebody else has got to come alongside and say, yes, I also want to testify. I want to testify. So Jesus is not going to argue, even though he's in the dock at this point, he is, he is the defendant in this trial as they're accusing him of violating the Sabbath and of making himself out to be God. So he says very clearly there, as God is working, I am at working, I and the Father are one, who he is. But then he goes forth and he offers the testimony of other witnesses so that he's not just out there uh, uh, on his own. 
He starts off with thir verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. I get it. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. It is a veiled reference to God, the Father, who is testifying and giving witness that Jesus is who he claims to be. But he moves on. We'll go to the first witness here. Ultimately, you're going to get four. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose to enjoy, you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Now, when John the baptizer came on the scene, he was pretty controversial. Uh, and the religious leaders came out to find out who he was and what he was doing and why he was doing it. And they asked him the question, are, are, are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Uh, and he said, no, I'm none of that. I'm none of that. I am a voice calling in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. I come to you with a baptism of water, a baptism of repentance, but there will come one after me whose sandal I'm not even worthy to tie. He will come and he will baptize you in the spirit. So he's, he's the foreshadower uh, of the Christ, the one who is coming. And you'll remember. So, you know, they, they said, okay, they kind of took a step back uh, because at that point they don't perceive the baptizer as a threat. But in, in, in every sense of the word, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets, calling people to repentance, calling people back to a right relationship with God. And you'll remember when Jesus comes on the scene, and this is where the testimony of the baptizer becomes very important for us. As he, as he sees Jesus come onto the scene, what does he say to his disciples? John says to his disciples, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Which, you know, that just threw them for a loop. The next day he says it again, behold the Lamb of God. And some of John's disciples leave him and they go to Jesus and uh, uh, Jesus says, what do you guys want? And they says, well, uh, where do you live? He says, come and see. He invites them on a journey. And really that's the invitation that we extend to others. Come and see. I don't have to convince anyone of the truth. I just need to invite them to come and see. And I, of course, need to live my life in truth. But John becomes the first witness that Jesus appeals to. You remember John. You trusted in him. His light, you, you came up alongside. He testifies of me, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on. He says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work the Father, that the Father has given me to finish, which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. Jesus is doing miraculous signs. You know what? I, 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 will, I will, to my dying day, uh, be a little bit bewildered by the response of the religious leaders of the day during Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, they watched him do some pretty spectacular miracles. 
And all they can do is get wrapped around the axle because he did it on the Sabbath. Totally ignoring the amazing things that he was doing. You'll remember back in the third chapter of John, who comes to see him but Nicodemus comes to see him at night. And what does Nicodemus say to him? He says, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are from God. No one can do the things that you do if God were not with him. Now, when, when, when Nicodemus says, we know, who's he talking about? You, do, do you think he's using the royal we in, in that pronouncement? No, he's talking about his fellow rabbis, his fellow religious leaders. They're having conversation. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is, what he wants. Jesus knows exactly what they want. They want to see the kingdom of God. That's what Nicodemus is after. And so Jesus just cuts to the chase and says, and, and, unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. So we have this whole conversation around that. But there is a testimony of the very works that Jesus is doing. That's the second witness that Jesus offers up in his defense. The first one is John the Baptist, the baptizer. The second one are the very works that the Father has sent him to do. And what are the works that the Father has sent him to do? The Father has sent him to show us, to teach us how to live in a right relationship with one another and in a right relationship with God according to the precepts of the law that are then punctuated with grace. And then he does the ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice where he goes to the cross and dies for our sins that we might be reconciled with God, that we might be forgiven, that we might be healed and, and enter into a process of restoration, which is where we are now. We are being restored. Those are the works that Jesus was sent to accomplish and those he did. So we have the testimony of John the baptizer. We have the very works that Jesus did. But then he goes on, the third witness. And not only does the Father testify through the works that I'm doing, he testifies that he has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one he sent. So there's our third testimony. The father himself testifies on my behalf. Oh, you didn't hear his voice. You weren't there. But there were those who were there. Where? When Jesus was baptized. When he comes up out of the water, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down from heaven, descends upon him. And the voice of God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the first of two times where the voice of God speaks. Later on, you'll remember Jesus goes up to the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he's transfigured on that mountain. And who appears with him? Moses and Elijah. We'll get back to those guys in a, in a little bit. How am I doing on time? Oh, this is, you just give me a few extra minutes. This is good stuff. Uh, and so uh, 
Moses is there representing the law. Uh, Elijah is there representing the prophets. And Peter says, ooh, we ought to build some tabernacles. And the cloud descends upon them and the voice of God, once again, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So we have that third testimony. We have the testimony of the baptizer. We have the testimony of the very works that Jesus is accomplishing. We have the testimony of the voice of God. This is somebody that you need to listen to. This is somebody that you need to pay attention to. But Jesus makes the point that the word of God does not dwell in them. You diligently study the scriptures, verse 39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There's our fourth one, the testimony of scripture. The number of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament are astounding. The odds of one person fulfilling as many prophecies as Jesus did from the Old Testament are incredible. I mean, slim and none, and, and slim's out of town. So all of these prophecies that come through and, 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 and are born out in the life of Jesus Christ witness to the validity of who he claims to be, who he is, not by his own testimony, but by the testimony of those who are around him. And then Jesus does something pretty cool. At this point, he is the defendant in this little trial. He's about to turn the tables and become the prosecutor in this little trial. Do not think, verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Moses was the one who said, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among you. Moses foretold the day that Jesus would come. And they set all their hopes on Moses. Moses was the man. He was the one who had given them the law. And yet, though they study the scriptures, they do not dwell in the scriptures. The scripture has no place in their hearts, for the very love of God has no place in their hearts. Because they have created uh, uh, in the law an end in and of itself rather than a means to show us the need that we have that only God can fill. At uh, Coronado Men's Connection uh, last Monday night, they showed a clip uh, uh, of J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland is uh, a philosophy and a theology uh, professor up at Biola, at Talbot, and, uh, uh, and he, he said he was in an airport, he was reading a newspaper, an editorial, and the title of the editorial was A Divided Nation. He goes, oh, this will be good. Um, and he's thinking that they're going to talk about, you know, political, left, right, uh, all, all the stuff that we know is dividing our, our nation. Uh, and as he reads the article, uh, the, the opinion writer says that we are a nation 
that is divided by worldview. And he goes, oh, well, you don't hear too many people talking about worldview these days unless they're Christians. Uh, and so the article goes on to say that there are two dominant worldviews uh, uh, in the world today. And there are more, but for the sake of uh, the argument and the fact that I'm running out of time here, we're just going to go with the article and say that there are two worldviews uh, that are dividing our nation today. One of those worldviews is the secularist worldview, the naturalist uh, worldview, that basically says what you see is what you get, and, uh, and this is all there is. Uh, there's nothing more than this. The only meaning that uh, we can give to life is that which we give it uh, ourselves. Basically, we get to make it up as we go along. Uh, and uh, that's, the, that's the, the worldview that is being uh, espoused by the universities today. Uh, by the talking heads on television, uh, the news, the media, uh, uh, social media, entertainment. Uh, those are the people that are standing in support of the naturalist worldview. In opposition, the divide on the other side of that is the monotheistic worldview, the view that there is one God. Uh, and that God created the world and that uh, we're created in God's image and that God is still involved in the world and has actually given us precepts uh, on, on how to live. And we continue on down that road. Uh, and he says, and the, this worldview, so over here, the naturalist worldview, you've got the universities, you've got the, the news media, the social media, you've got the entertainment world. They're all supporting the natural, uh, naturalist worldview. On this side, the, the monotheistic worldview, you've got the church. And uh, J.P. Moreland is reading this and he goes, boy, I don't like those odds. Uh, and we know that the church in and of itself is also fragmented because the church does not have a clear and healthy worldview about who God is. The church today in North America is a mile wide and an inch deep, which is, which is why that something like this Colson program is, is so important. Because we need to understand what it is that we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters. And in this fifth chapter of John, John the writer wants us to understand who Jesus is and to understand the arguments that he gives so that we can rest on that. What do we know to be true? The, 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 the reality is that the majority of the knowledge that we hold as true, we have received secondhand. We've received it secondhand, and we've received it from, a, from, from authorities uh, that we trust. That's just the reality of life. One person can't do everything. You have to read the works of other people. Well, the same thing is true with regard to worldview. We, we have an, uh, uh, an authoritative witness and testimony in Scripture that tells us that Jesus is who he claims to be. And he gives us these witnesses to, to support his claims. And we need to be able to understand that and, and, and rest and cultivate that worldview so that we can articulate a reason for the hope that is within us gently, respectfully, when people ask. 
Now, you think those are, those are terrible odds. And, 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 and we're, we're running behind the curve. And I'm, I'm reminded of a story from the Old Testament to the, the prophet Elijah. And remember, the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, there with Jesus. Moses is the law. Elijah is, is, the, is the prophet. There's this cool story uh, about Elijah up on Mount Carmel. And uh, uh, he's gathered up there with all the prophets of Baal. And, and, they, and they're, they're, we're going to have a showdown. And uh, we're going to find out who is the true God. And so they, they, they each build a, uh, an, an altar and they put a sacrifice on it. And then Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, OK, you guys go and do your thing and to see if uh, see if your God answers you. And so they're they're dancing around and they're they're chanting and they're doing all kinds of stuff, trying to get their their God to come down and do something. <laughs> and Elijah is chiding them. Maybe your God, maybe your God is a is a bit deaf. Maybe you need to yell a little louder. Perhaps he's taking a nap. You got to wake him up. He even suggests, it's in the text, swear to God. He says, maybe, maybe he went to the bathroom. I mean, you guys got to do something because obviously your God's, and so they're finally exhausted. They drop in exhaustion. And then he says, okay, take note, watch this. Lord, show them who you are. And the Holy Spirit comes down, God comes down and poof, and takes up the offering that Elijah has set forth. And, and, and poof, he takes up the offering that they had set up for the prophet of Baal. And, uh, and then Elijah says, are there any more questions? And, 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 and so at that point, they, they kill all the prophets of Baal. And, 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 and Jezebel, she's not happy. And so she says, I'm going to get that prophet. And she goes after him. And I, I don't get it, but he runs. The guy that called fire down from heaven runs from this woman. And he, he runs all the way back out, out into the desert. And, and God says, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I'm all alone. She's going to kill me. And, and, and God says, walk into this. You know, I, I, listen to what I'm saying. You know, and, and there's this great scene. Does, you know, you, 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 do you, hear, is, you hear the thunder. Is God in the thunder? No. Is God in the wind? No. God is in the still, small voice. You are never alone. And he goes on to say, there were 7,000 that will never bow the knee to Baal. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone. I get that. All the more reason to dwell in the word of God and to hide the word in your heart to reflect the love that you have for God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I've read the end of the book. We win. Yes, there are these two competing worldviews out there. And yes, we are outnumbered. It's almost like a, a David and Goliath scenario. But I read that story, too. And guess what? David won. We are never alone. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But that doesn't mean that we can abdicate our deeper understanding of who God is and who God has revealed himself to be in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, to his credit, uh, uh, Muhammad never claimed to be God. To his credit, Buddha never claimed to be God. To his credit, Confucius never claimed to be God. Jesus claims to be God. We cannot merely say that Jesus was a good teacher and a way. Jesus is not a way. He is the way. 
We cannot say that Jesus was just a good moral teacher and represents a truth among many. Jesus said, I am the truth. That's not an option open for us to say that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. He claims to be God. And if he is not truly who he claims to be, then he is a madman. But I stand here today to tell you that with every fiber of my meat, my being, in accordance with the words that have been given to us and the testimonies that verify, not only in the word, but down through history, that Jesus is who he claims to be. In the beginning, the word who was with God, who was God, who became flesh and dwelt among us. To see Jesus is to see the Father because the Son and the Father are one. It's a testimony that we need to be clear in our own minds because the challenges that we face today are Herculean and we cannot afford to live in the shallow end of the pool. We must get into the deep end, think deeply about what we believe, why we'll believe it, and why it matters. And we do this by spending time in God's word, by spending time in prayer, by having conversations with, with other people. Colson Fellows is an opportunity to do that as well. That, my friends, is how we stand in the face of incredible opposition today, knowing that the love of God will never leave us, will never forsake us. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. So when I had to, to do my trust thing, I needed two witnesses to make sure that it was all legal and copacetic and all that fun stuff. Jesus gives us four witnesses, the testimony of John the baptizer, the very works that he did during his earthly ministry, the voice of God. This is my beloved son and the testimony of the scriptures. But there's a fifth witness that we have, and that is the resurrection itself. Fascinating. No one ever questioned the validity of the resurrection for 300 years after it happened. They would sometimes question the claims of the one who was resurrected, but never the resurrection itself. Our faith stands on firm ground. Celebrate the witnesses. Understand the witnesses. Be able to articulate the witnesses as you articulate your hope to a world that is dying to hear the truth. The truth has been given to us. Let us celebrate that 